everybody, welcome back to the Green Light Green Podcast. Light. This is Jackson here. And Lauren. And we're dedicated to bringing content to you, so you better love us. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it is. What time is it, Jackson? It's 10.23, which might not sound that late, but after a long day of work and other activities, uh, it's kind of late. So is. Um, that is what we're doing. We are, uh, we're filming this late. Uh, Lauren's parents are in town. Uh, yeah. Lauren's family, I guess, in town. Lauren's parents and sister. Her other sister w- was here, but now is not here. Um, so yeah, uh, so, so she was busy hanging out with them. I was busy working and doing some other things. Uh, but we're here now. You're welcome. We're here. So, uh, let's dive into some housekeeping real quick and then let's dive into the show and then let's go to sleep. Okay. (laughs) Um, uh, I feel old for being like, oh yeah, let's go to sleep. (laughs) Yeah. First of all, um, I know you're looking to see if we have any more Apple podcast reviews, but while we're yes, getting I into am. that, you should follow us on social media at TGL underscore pod on Instagram and Twitter at GreenlightPod on Facebook. Do it, cowards. We post sometimes. We do. Uh, um, another thing that you should do is check out our Patreon. Yes, We please. finally decided for our green lit this month, which is at the $5 level and above, we will be doing E.T. in honor of Fortnite Season 7 yes. with the aliens. <laughs> yes, we will be doing And that. I don't think Jackson's ever seen it, so. Yeah, correct. Good stuff. Um, so yeah, it doesn't look like we have uh, new reviews. Sad. So how dare all of you? Please do that. But yeah, it's a huge, huge help for us. I mean, if we ever want to even get on the charts of the entertainment, film, and TV category, yeah, we yeah. gotta get some more reviews. Yeah. So so please do that if you're listening and haven't done so. We would really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, did you mention our Patreon? Sorry, I was. Busy. I did. Yes, okay, I did. Cool. And we are also going to be doing a um, road trip soon. Yep. Um, where we will read a classic play. That's true. That is public domain, so we don't have to get the rights for it because that would be complicated. Yep. But I mean, we're not going to read the whole thing. We're basically just going to do some in-depth analysis, read some scenes. It'll be a great time. Yeah. Kind of like be. Cliff's Notes, except it'll probably be. It'll probably it'll still be shorter than the play. Except better, because better. we're better than Cliff. Boom. Okay. Um, who do we want to go first for our episode? I don't. I actually don't know what you're doing. <laughs> oh, true. Well, then, do you want a surprise or do you want to go first? Shoot, <laughs> I didn't do my two truths and a lie. Wow, way to go. Well, then, do you want me to go first so you can find your two truths and a lie? Yeah, let me grab my phone though. Okay, sounds good. Okay, uh, I'll keep talking though. So the movie that I will be doing is a movie that uh, we watched recently as a house. Lauren was actually busy the night we watched it, so she did not get to watch it. Uh, I'm going to be talking about Brokeback Mountain today. 2005 film. Oh, does Lauren have a comment on that? She just returned. It was just y'all. Gotcha. Y'all Brokeback Mountain. Yes. Brokeback Mountain is what I'm going to be talking about. Uh, yeah, like I said, it was a 2005 film. Uh, I'll give you a quick description of it if you haven't heard of it, though I'm, I'm sure you probably have because it's a pretty popular one. I, I don't love this, uh, this description, but it was <laughs> uh, whatever. Uh, their acquaintance began on the warm summer of 1963 when cowboys Ennis Del Mar and Jack Twist ended up being on the sheep farm of Joe Aguirre in Brokeback Mountain, Wyoming while looking for work. Under unexpected circumstances, little by little, the two men developed an intimate relationship that turned into a profound but secret bond right under the nose of their families. However, love, and its many faces, is eternal. Who can stop love, life's ultimate truth? <laughs> I don't understand that last sentence. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so this is essentially, uh, like it implies, two cowboys uh, get together and sort of develop a romantic relationship with each other. Uh, and it, especially in 1963 in Wyoming, that was kind of frowned upon. So they kept it a secret. They started other lives. But the movie's details, the beginning of their relationship, and then their sort of continued relationship throughout the next 20 years or so. I believe it. I believe the movie actually spans a full 20 years uh, and, and how that so- they sort of deal with that, with their families, with their personal lives, etc., etc. So, a a quick few specs. Uh, I'll do general, and then I'll get into specifics. This movie was directed by Ang Lee, uh, written by Larry McMurdy and Diana Osana, based on a short story by Annie Prolux. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it. Uh, And it stars, it actually has a pretty pretty stacked cast, Jake Gyllenhaal, Heath Ledger, Michelle Williams, Anne Hathaway, Linda Cardellini, David Harbour, and Randy Quaid. Uh, So, yeah, this is... It, it was a, a pretty big movie in 2005, and I'll tell you why by first talking about who all is involved, like I mentioned. So, directed by Ang Lee. 
uh, who you probably you might have heard that name because he's definitely considered one of today's like great filmmakers. Uh, pre Brokeback Mountain, um, he famously directed Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Sense and Sensibility, and the 2003 Hulk movie. And then post Brokeback Mountain, Life of Pi, and Gemini Man. Uh, he's also set to direct Thrilla in Manila, a movie based on the Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier fight. Um, so, you know, he has an interesting history of making, like, these really beautiful films, like Brokeback Mountain and mm-hmm. Life of Pi, and also, like, kind of weird action movies. Not weird, but, like, Hulk and, like, Gemini Man, like, <laughs> two, like, action action movies, which I think is is kind of funny and interesting. But, uh, yeah, a great director we have attached to this one. Uh, like I said as well, it was lit- written by Larry McMurdy and Diana Osana. Uh, I'll get more on the short story that it's based on uh, after we talk about more of the, the specific people. Uh, so Larry McMurdy uh, is actually a very decorated screenwriter and novelist. Uh, some of the novels he wrote were The Last Picture Show, In Terms of Endearment, etc. Uh, the films that were adapted from his works earned 34 Oscar nominations and got 13 wins, including some from this movie we'll talk about later. Uh, so this man kind of knows how to write. He kind of has a pretty a pretty solid resume. Uh, and in fact, Brokeback Mountain was one of his later credits, actually. Most of his writing came before hmm. uh, Brokeback Mountain. Uh, lots of TV series and miniseries, uh, and his books as well, they all have a very Western feel to them. They're all, like, set in the West, you know, whether they be Texas, uh, Oklahoma, etc., etc., uh, so that, that's sort of his vibe. So now moving on to Diana Osana, uh, she has a sort of less stacked resume. Uh, she has only six writing credits, but literally every single one of them she worked with Larry McMurdy on. Uh, hmm. they're, they're sort of, uh, co-writers, um, and as well, obviously because of Larry's resume, uh, all sort of set in the West, um, and, and, uh, uh, a lot of cowboy themes, if you will. So, and like I said, we'll get into the short story in a bit, uh, which dives into how they got to writing this one. But first, let's talk about who's in it, who we get to see in it. Jake Gyllenhaal is a, is our is our first actor. Of course. Uh, obviously, you've heard of Jake Gyllenhaal. Hugely successful career. Before this movie, he starred in Donnie Darko, October Sky, The Day After Tomorrow. After this movie, his career really took off uh, with movies like Prince of Persia, Source Code, End of Watch, Prisoners, Nightcrawler, Southpaw, Nocturnal Animals, Okja, Spider-Man Far From Home. He has a, he has a huge career, obviously. We all know Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, and even at this time, you know, he was a pretty decent name. Uh, from what I understand about it, he was like pretty much just offered this role. He didn't even have to audition. So, you mm-hmm. know, he was at that point in his career where, where that was possible. Uh, and Jake Gyllenhaal played Jack Twist. Jack Nasty, if you will, as he's referenced once in the movie. Um... <laughs> Uh, so, Ennis uh, Del Mar is played by Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger is probably also a name that you've heard uh, par- mostly because of his acting career, but also because his acting career was ended far too early. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, watching this movie uh, and just, you know, seeing other things he was in, obviously a great talent that was that was taken too soon. Um, but pre-Brokeback Mountain, uh, he was in 10 Things I Hate About You, The Patriot, A Knight's Tale, Monster Ball, The Brothers Grimm. Afterward, uh, the biggest film he was in, obviously, was The Dark Knight, where he played the Joker, which earned him a posthumous Oscar. Um, and I think just seeing this movie, because I, I really, I think the only two things I've seen with him in it are The Dark Knight and um, Brokeback Mountain now. Mm-hmm. And just seeing the different characters he is in those two movies is actually astounding. It's 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 really incredible to see what, what he's able to do. So um, really love Heath Ledger, especially in this. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, those are obviously our two main characters. There are star-crossed lovers. Um, but I'll, I'll get into the, the other actors as well that I mentioned. Um, Michelle Williams, uh, she actually, her first credit was, uh, she was in the Baywatch TV series for two episodes. Uh, Halloween H2O. Her biggest credit, uh, before this movie was, uh, Dawson's Creek is Jen. I think she was either a series regular or just, like, a main character. Um, after that, uh... She's been in movies like Shutter Island, My Week with Marilyn, Manchester by the Sea, All the Money in the World. Uh, once again, another great actress. Uh, she also won an Emmy for playing, uh, for portraying Gwen Verdon, Fosse Verdon. Uh, Verdon? Verdon? It's Verdon, right? I believe so. Okay, cool. But I really don't know. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> uh, next we have Anne Hathaway, another huge star you've, I'm sure you've heard of. Uh, obviously, I've done a full profile on Anne Hathaway on the show because of Ella you Enchanted. Have. Yeah, so so I'll go through quick. Obviously, started with Princess Diaries, Ella Enchanted. Uh, those were both before this movie. Afterwards, Devil Wears Prada, Get Smart, Love and Other Drugs with Jake Gyllenhaal, Les Mis, etc., etc. Dark Knight Rises as well, another person in the Dark Knight trilogy from this movie. Uh, then we have Linda Cardellini. Uh, obviously, 
Velma in the live-action Scooby-Doo movies. Uh, she was also in Freaks and Geeks. She's done a lot of voice work in the Daddy's Home movies, in uh, the TV show Dead to Me. She's been great. Uh, a, a few other big names that were had kind of smaller roles. Uh, David Harbour, uh, who is in Stranger Things. He has a, he has a, a smallish role. And then uh, Randy Quaid, who I believe is related to Dennis Quaid. But I don't know how. I think brother. We'll say brother. Anyways, so th- those who we got attached. And you probably recognize a lot of those names, and if not, you'll know them now. Um, so this movie kind of has a lot of star power and a lot of a lot of stuff behind it. Once again, this is early in a lot of their careers, but, you know, still definitely uh, some stars at this point. Some recognizable names, for sure. Um, I don't think this is in my... I don't think this is in my two truths and a lie. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it. Sort of an interesting fact. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, um... Anne Hathaway actually uh, auditioned for this role on, I can't remember if it was in Ella Enchanted or Princess Diaries 2. Uh, while they were filming that, she auditioned on her lunch break for this. Oh, wow. So she was in like a big gown and big hair, uh, but she killed the audition. They, the, That's uh, amazing. Ang Lee actually didn't even expect her to to uh, contend for the role, but she did so well in her audition that uh, that she got cast. Wow. So that was, I thought that was a really cool fun fact. Uh, so yeah, let's talk about the the short story that I was mentioning. Uh, obvi- uh, as I said, written by Annie Prowlx. I don't know how to pronounce her name. P R O U L X for you whizzes out there. <laughs> uh, so this uh, the story was published in 1997, October 1997, in the New Yorker by the same name, Brokeback Mountain, and won the National Magazine Award for Fiction in 1998. Uh, from what I can tell, it seems to follow the exact same story as the film. Um, and she, uh, she said she wrote her story based on her own reflections about life in the West. And I want to read sort of a few quotes that I think are really cool. Uh, she said, rural North America, regional cultures, the image of an ideal and seemingly attainable world the characters cherish in their long views, despite the rigid and cultural difficult circumstances of their place and time interest me and are what I write about. Uh, she watches for the historical skew between what people have hoped for and who they thought they were and then what actually befell them. Uh, for this story specifically, she said uh, she once noticed a middle-aged man in a bar who appeared to be watching only the men playing pool, which led her to consider the life of a typical Western ranch hand who might be gay. Uh, she wrote the story over six months and went through more than 60 drafts for this story, Sheesh. which is impressive. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't put that in your two truths and a lie. Like how many drafts? Yeah, yeah. Figured you would think it's fake. It was. It would be too easy, but it wasn't, uh, or it is true. Uh, so yeah, that's that's a little about about the short story. And then uh, I I also want to talk about sort of how you know just a bit of the process of of what this film went through to be made. Yeah. Um. So Diana Osana, one of the writers, uh, discovered the short story actually days after it was released. Showed her writing partner Larry, and they immediately asked if they could adapt it into a film. It wow. just struck it just struck them so quickly. Uh, however, it took them a little while to find people who would be willing to make them because obviously this came out in 2005. The short story was written in 1997. Uh, so it went through many different iterations. Uh, Gus Van Zant and Joel Schumacher were both attached at one point to direct, but they uh, different things happened and they ended up not doing it. Um, and Ang Lee actually was presented with this script earlier, uh, a few years before in his career. Uh, and he sort of brushed it off. And then after he made Hulk, he was kind of exhausted, he said, that he almost considered retiring from directing. But um, then he read the script again, really fell in love with it. Originally was just going to be a producer on it, mm-hmm. but then realized that, um, you know, after after talking with a few people and, uh, you know, he couldn't really find a good director, he decided to just direct it himself. Um, if you can't get a job done right, just do it yourself. Do it yourself, please. Uh, so a little bit about how the actors got involved. Uh, Ledger actually put himself forward for the role after reading the script and thinking it was beautiful. Um, and interestingly enough, and especially if you've seen this movie, it might come as a shock to you, the studio didn't think he was masculine enough for the role. But, you know, he auditioned and really pushed for it, so he um, he ended up getting it. Huh. Um, Hall actually also positive reaction to the script and, and signed on for the role. See, I gotta be honest, I have always seen Heath Ledger as more masculine than Jake Gyllenhaal. Well, and that that's their dynamic in the movie as well. Okay. Um, which is, once again, uh, if you've seen the movie... Like, I think that will shock you just because of how good Heath Ledger's performance really is. Hmm. Um, and then, uh, so just to prepare uh, Ledger and um, Gyllenhaal for the roles, uh, Lee gave them books about cowboys who were gay or shared similar experiences, um, had them read them. 
They also went on a ranch on the outskirts of LA to learn how to ride horses, even though Heath Ledger actually already had experience because he grew up on farms uh, in Western Australia, which uh, which is cool. Hmm. Um, and I, I really like this fact. Uh, when asked if he had any fears about playing a gay man, Heath Ledger replied that he was not afraid of the role, only that he wasn't mature enough to do it justice. Um, which I think is a really cool sentiment. Um, and once again, if you've seen this movie and seen his performance, you know he very much did it justice. Um, I, I, I just, I wanted to talk about all that because I really liked how it seemed like the people who were making this movie were doing it because they loved the story and really wanted to share it with For the sure. world. Um, unfortunately... Not everyone shared those things because yes. um, th- this movie received a decent amount of backlash uh, when it was released. Because some people are homophobic. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from Received criticism from a lot of conservative pundits. Commentators like Bill O'Reilly, John Gibson, and Cal Thomas all made rude comments that this film was pushing the gay agenda. Um, they made crude jokes calling the movie – I'll only name a couple of these because it's, you know – uh, calling it Bareback Mountain, Humpback Mountain, things like that. Just like, <laughs> don't laugh. <laughs> That's rude. Um, so, you know, just very rude comments. Um, and also, I just fi- like when you said Humpback Mountain, that made me think of a humpback, humpback whale in a cowboy hat. Yeah. That, see, that's just, funny. That made me giggle. <laughs> that's, a, that's a funny image for sure. Uh, but um, another another thing, famously, the Utah jazz owner, Larry Miller, removed the film from theaters at the Jordan Commons Entertainment Complex because he said it has no resemblance of a traditional family, which he believed is dangerous. Uh, Focus features then threatened okay, legal wait, wait, action. Wait, 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 I'm sorry. Yes. Um, how many action movies are there? How many, how many James movies. Bond movies are out there? 35. How many of them have traditional family values? Negative four. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you're correct. Once again, all, all of what you're saying is 100% correct. You know what? I bet he let the Mission Impossible movies go, <laughs> even though Tom Cruise is a Scientologist. So That's I true. really don't want to hear about no it. No family values in Scientology. I don't know. I, I don't know much about Scientology. So, but that's what I do know. Um, however, despite all of this hate that the movie receives, um, in, in retrospect especially, and I think even at the time, this this sentiment was sort of lauded as a landmark in LGBTQ cinema, um, and was credited for influencing several films that uh, featured similar themes, like Milk, Transamerica, I Love You, Philip Morris, etc. And sort of sticking it to those conservatives and people who made fun of it, people who were against it, it actually was a very successful film at the time. Uh, critically, it made it onto many critics' top ten lists for 2005. It was nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. Uh, Ledger, Gyllenhaal, and Michelle Williams were all nominated for Academy Awards. And it won for Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Original Score. Um, it's also part of a big controversy at the Oscars because it was famously beaten by Crash for Best Picture, which was considered a huge snub. Um, in fact, th- when Crash was announced, there were audible gasps at the Oscars, uh, and Jack Nicholson, who was reading the award, was very shocked because he actually voted for Brokeback Mountain as well, um, as part of the Academy. Hmm. Um, and it, it, in a poll that I'm not sure if the, I think Variety took, uh, Variety the magazine took years later, um, and they polled the Academy and were like, oh yeah, we should have given it to Brokeback Mountain actually. Um, so that that's uh, that's one of the most famous snubs I think uh, of wow. in Oscars all time was Crash winning Best Picture. Uh, it's also um, grossed uh, a huge amount worldwide financially. Uh, grossed 178 million worldwide against its 14 million dollar budget, which is hugely successful. For yeah, wow. Um, and it also 14 was... million dollar budget. Yeah, that's nothing. Yep. Wow. And it was selected for preservation in the United States Film Registry by the Library of Congress for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Um, And, you know, I I will say, and we were sort of talking about this after the movie, um, I I think that as much critical success as it did have, I think especially as we were talking about in the more conservative areas among more conservative groups, it was very demonized when it came out. Um, I know, you know, around where we grew up, um, you know, there's a, a large conservative population and I know a lot of the discourse that I heard, you know, at school, whatever was that, you know, this was like the gay cowboy movie, you know, what stuff like that, you know, and, and not saying that is a good thing. P- people were not implying that as, as that was a good thing. So I just, I, yay, the gay cowboy. Yeah, exactly. Well, while, while some people thought that was great. <laughs> um, so some people said that with a negative connotation. And so I, I, I think it's, it, you know, it, it sort of shows those two sides because, you know, while it was a critical success, 
uh, a commercial success. I think a lot of people still sort of, uh, you know, in, in 2005, which doesn't seem like that long ago, but a lot has happened since 2005. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think this movie uh, w- was very controversial at the time. So let's get into my thoughts. All right. This was an amazing film. I, 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 I definitely agree that, I mean, I haven't seen all the films in 2005 that were nominated, but I can see why it was nominated and should have won Best Picture. Um, it's beautifully written, directed, and acted. Um, I'll talk about, like, you know, the story and the writing first. Um, it's a very, like, Romeo and Juliet type story, like this, this forbidden mm. love. Um, do involving... they kill themselves at the end? They do not. Ah, no. Okay. Um, no spoilers, so ends a little but better. they do not. Ends, well, <laughs> it doesn't end great, and I don't oh, want to okay. spoil it, but it does not end great. Um, it, it, yeah, so it's this, this Romeo and Juliet type story involving these two men who were forced to be masculine in a society where it's quite, quite literally life-threatening for them not to be. Um, I, I thought the setting was beautiful. The dialogue was excellent. Um, I think it really captured that, like, you know, I mean, I mean, I didn't grow up in the West, but we did grow up in the South. Sure. And I think it sort of it sort of captured this sort of like machismo, like cowboy type dialogue very well um, with, with very sim- simple, but also like, you know, it led to a lot of funny moments and a lot of beautiful moments, just like the, the, the straightforward. And I, I think it's interesting because we were, we were talking about it after the movie, how it is at the same time straightforward. But it also like I think it's beautiful how a lot of that deals in like metaphor and simile. Like, sure. you know, there there a lot of just like colloquial sayings and things. And I just thought this this film did a really good job of representing that. Um uh I thought the characters were written beautifully too, with a lot of depth and complexity. Um and w- one thing that obviously the uh uh Ennison and Jack's stories were were beautiful and were written really well. But I was really impressed with how well the um the women were written in the story and and the story of the two wives, how you really felt for them too. Um, because obviously you feel for Ennis and Jack because, you know, they're not allowed to be who they are. Um, and they are doing their best, but it still affects the people around them because of these societal, um, norms that they have to abide by. They can't, they can't fully be who they are, which means they can't fully, you know, they can't fully be good husbands to wives because of that. Well, yeah, because then it's also like, I feel like it would just be really tough to be married to someone and be like, I know something's wrong. Something's always been wrong. Yeah. But like, you know, he won't tell me, so I'll stop asking. And, yeah. you know, it, it just seems like it would never be a happy situation for yeah. anyone. Yeah, exactly. So like that struggle was really, really beautifully portrayed, I think. And I'll, I'll say this. The acting was outstanding in this movie. Um, both Hall and Heath Ledger obviously perform really well. But like I said, you know, Anne Hathaway and Michelle Williams also are, are, are very incredible. Um, uh, one, one thing that I think is interesting is, uh, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis actually cites this as one of his favorite movies and it's, uh, largely because of Heath Ledger's performance. Hmm. Um, I, once again, like I said, I can't believe he was ever considered not masculine enough for this role because I think he embodies that role. He he's the one who's a little more hesitant in the relationship. Um and and I, I think he just embodies that like cowboy machismo really well and just the character and and the the conflict inside of him w- w- was really beautiful. Um so this was a great movie. So really it's gonna become no surprise to you as I say I green light the heck out of this one. Heck yeah. Green line it all the way. And, you know, obviously I green it because I loved the movie. But also if you look at it, yes, it, it could be considered a controversial topic at the time. But it's also was a very successful story that it's based off of. Not yeah. necessarily one that people would know, but, you know, you have good material to work with. Uh, with a well-known director. And it's filled with up-and-coming actors. Like, who who are, you know, people probably do know at this point and, and could draw some names. So, I, I think it definitely. Um, also, it was very cheap to make. So, yeah, like, real consi- cheap. considering the money it made, I think it was a good investment. For sure. And I think that, like, from a producer standpoint, I guess it's, like, because it's tough to put ourselves in the 2005 mindset. Like, yeah. I bet there were probably, you know, people who were presented with the script as potential producers on it and turned it down because they were like, whoa, 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 gay. Yeah, You know, but so it's, yeah, I don't know. It's like, I'm definitely glad it got made. I'm glad it got there in 2005, you know, but it's it's just crazy to think that, um, it's just crazy to think like how far we've come. Yeah, for sure. With that. And I mean, granted, you know, there are still lots of like, 
you know, like, for example, Disney has, like, I don't know that they've necessarily struggled with putting representation in there, but they, because they haven't done a whole lot, but every time yeah. they've done even a little bit, you know, everybody's been like, wee, 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 my children. Yeah. yeah you know, and sure. while this is obviously not a children's movie, yeah, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's like still interesting to see how, Large companies, especially those that are marketed towards children, you know, face so much backlash over the smallest thing. And I, I'm sure it's yeah. much worse in 2005. Yeah, 100%. 100%. All right. Shall I do my two truths and a lie? Sure. Or should I save it for the end? Do it now. Okay, cool. Truth number one. <laughs> According to reports, Heath Ledger nearly broke co-star Jake Gyllenhaal's nose while filming a kissing scene. Truth number two. Did you say nearly or he did? Nearly. What does that mean? Did he punch him? Did he headbutt him? I think that's all I can tell you. That's the that's just a fact. Okay, like that's all it wrote on the trivia. Yeah, yeah, that's that that that's the full trivia line. But well, honestly, if (laughs) if you saw the movie, it would probably make more sense to you. (laughs) Are they just going like? (laughs) It's. I mean, it's it's pretty intense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, truth two. Both Matt Damon and Ben Affleck were up for leads in this film, almost making it a reunion from Goodwill Hunting. Truth three. Hmm. Anne Hathaway learned how to barrel race for the film, and she insisted that she perform it on film despite the insurance company's hesitancies. Barrel racing is a horse racing thing. Okay. Period. I believe the Anne Hathaway thing. Okay. For sure. Um, she just is definitely that kind of person. Horse girl. But like, and well, no, just like the, confirmed. you know, like I learned how to do this for my acting and I'm going to do it on the film. Like, sure. um, I feel like you were a little sketchy about the nose thing because I feel like I, I really in my gut feel like the second one is the lie. Okay. But you were also just being sketchy about the first one. It seemed too vague. Okay. But I still think the second one's the lie. Think the second one's a lie? No way. And. Eh. Are you serious? Both Matt Damon and Ben Affleck were up for leads in the film. <laughs> I don't know which characters they were up for. I hate like, that. I don't know if they were up for the same ones, but they both were. I hate that sure. so much. Just the thought of them kissing. No. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yes, Heath Ledger did almost break uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's nose while filming. It was the Anne Hathaway thing? So it, it's like that one's half and half. She did learn how to barrel race, <sighs> but she was she did not do it in the film. The insurance company actually wouldn't let her. See, you know, I will say... Um, like, I don't know. I read uh, Michael Caine's acting for film book. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he talks about how, like, you know, actors who say they do their own stunts, like, they don't. They literally won't let you. Even yeah. if you're totally confident and you can do it, they literally will not let you do it. You should have You should have trusted Michael. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like the only way you're ever able to do it is, like, if you're, like, Tom Cruise and you are, like, the main producer on everything <laughs> producer, you make yeah it's like sure. well the only person who w- could really say no is me yeah so <laughs> exactly so i'm gonna say yes to me yeah so yeah gotcha that's three weeks in a row <laughs> god i'm on a roll god i'm good all it right might be baby four actually actually i think you're right it is four because i did two weeks and then we came back and i won again and then oh i don't know if i've gotten a single one of yours though so like that's that's fair <laughs> i'm gonna get you again yeah, you today. probably will all right, go ahead, my love. Okay, let's move on. So I know we didn't talk about what our two films were at the beginning, but oh, I am yeah, talking about, have. I mean, it'll be in the title. It'll be fine. That's true. Um, I'm talking about the brandy new film, musical adaptation mm-hmm. of In the Heights. In the Heights. Yeah, just like that. Um, so basically, as you probably know, um, this just came out uh, like last week. And it is in theaters. It's also free to watch if you have an HBO Max subscription. But Mm -hmm. um, I ended up seeing it in theaters with my parents uh, literally tonight at 7 p.m. And now it's like 10.45. Yep. (laughs) Um, Yes. So so it's very fresh. It is. Um, But yes. So let's get into it. I wrote a lot of pages. And I did my notes for the most part before. Okay. Okay. Don't judge me. That is Um, a lot of notes. Yeah. So this is based on the Broadway musical... um, Basically, opened on Broadway 2008, ran until 2011. Um, music and lyrics were written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, as I'm sure you know from this and also Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Um, at the Richard Rogers Theater, which was also the same theater as Hamilton. And fun fact, I don't know if you remember, when we saw Hamilton, there was a little thing carved into the concrete that was like in the Heights 2009. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Anyway. Um, yeah, it also had an off-Broadway run beforehand. Um, yeah, so this show, I mean, I've... 
Thankfully, the notes were a little easier for this one just because I know a lot about the show and sure. I know a lot about the people involved. Yeah. Um, but Liv Miranda has talked about in interviews before how like, because he has done a lot of acting as well. Yeah. Um, and so one of the reasons he wanted to write this was in an effort to create more roles for Latin actors because they're just were not that many yeah. at the time. You know, he was like, yeah, you can be in like Man of La Mancha. Yeah. Period. Cool. End of story. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, and then even then, like a lot of the stuff, for example, okay, this ended up winning the Tony Award for Best Musical. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the other musicals that were nominated were like a revival of Gypsy, a revival of South Pacific, you know. Um, yeah. Oh, gosh. What else was on here? I definitely wrote down what else was nominated. Oh, Young Frankenstein uh, and then Little Mermaid, yeah. which was like an adaptation of the Disney movie, yeah. you know. So it's kind of just like a lot of the other stuff that was nominated were like either straight up revivals or it was just like things that people already knew. Yeah, or, for sure. You know, so this was like an original work. It had a really fresh style. You know, no one had really ever incorporated rap into a musical before. Yeah. Um. So it was really just groundbreaking in so many ways. And of course, it also had um, a primarily uh, Latinx cast. Yeah. So yeah, very cool as well. Um, and you know, and then it also just makes musical theater more accessible for the everyday person because again, so many of the musicals, you know, even now, but even more then were, you know, revivals of classic musicals. They were Rodgers and Hammerstein, things like that. Yeah. So yeah, it was an effort to make musicals something that a regular person who wasn't into that kind of music could enjoy. For sure. Whew. Okay. So yeah. So this was nominated for 13 Tonys. The musical was. It won four of them. Um, so like I said, best musical, also won best original score, best choreography, and best orchestrations. Nice. Um, they recouped their $10 million investment after 10 months on Broadway. That's pretty good. And the cast recording won... Oh, you know what I did? Those things I said before, uh, they were actually the, the Grammy nominations for best uh musical show album but they beat that they beat them for that too i don't remember what was nominated for best musical oh okay gotcha sorry gotcha, gotcha. I, that's what i meant like the little mermaid the young frank sure, the best. The okay, South okay Pacific. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. yeah so they won they won a grammy for that okay um yeah so here's some stuff about the plot yep so basically this is all in a community called washington heights which i'm going to talk more about a little bit later mm-hmm. um and it centers around a blackout that lasts several days in the middle of the summer hottest time of the year um and it's washington heights is basically like it's kind of like a primarily latinx neighborhood um it's while it has become much more gentrified it was like a poor neighborhood um so you know it's like a lot of the plot centers around oh this is kind of a dying neighborhood like nobody cares about us mm-hmm. you know the lights go out are they ever, are they ever even going to turn them back on yeah um yeah, feeling like, you know, there's a lot of people who are wanting to make an impact, not be forgotten, but also enjoy their community, enjoy their family, enjoy their culture and heritage. Yeah. Um, okay, so here's some of the characters. So the main guy is Usnavi, played in this by Anthony Ramos, um, originated on Broadway by the writer Lin-Manuel Miranda. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a bodega owner, so just like a corner store owner. Um, he, you know, saves every penny. He dreams of moving back to the Dominican Republic where he emigrated from. Um, he takes care of Abuela, uh, Abuela Claudia, who is not really his, uh, grandma, but is sort of just like the matriarch of the neighborhood takes care of everybody. And now mm-hmm. that she's older, everybody kind of takes care of her. Um, and then he's really into this girl, Vanessa, who works at a salon. Um, so let's get into Vanessa. She dreams of moving downtown. She dreams of having a better life, becoming a designer, um, all that good stuff. Uh, and then there's also a character named Nina, who is sort of like the smart kid. And she's mm-hmm. like the first to get out. She's going to college at Stanford, but she kind of has something to hide. She's dropped out. Um, mm. And, you know, and that's right at the beginning. That's not really a spoiler. Yeah. But um, she feels like she has the pressure of the whole neighborhood because everyone thinks that she's the one who's going to go change the world. And she's like, I don't know if that's me. Yeah. Um. Anyway, and then Nina is kind of with Benny, who um, she dated for a while, and they kind of broke up when she went to college. Um, Benny is... This is actually a plot line that they cut from the movie, but there's a whole thing with Benny because most of the characters are Latinx. Benny is black, um, and there is some racism in the Latinx community that's, like, I guess just kind of a stereotype, but it is, like, a 
real thing from what I understand. Yeah. And so there is a plot line where Nina's dad is like, well, Benny does work for him. He's not really cool with Benny dating his daughter. Yeah. Um, so that's a major plot line in the musical. But um, yeah, that's not really while they are together. That's not really a plot line in the movie. Um, yeah. And then we also talked about Benny. He dreams of kind of like going to business school. Um, basically, you know, everyone kind of dreams of building a better life for themselves in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the plot. Um, so yeah, let's talk a little bit about Washington Heights. Let's talk about it. Okay, so the setting is Washington Heights. It was named for Fort Washington, which was built during the Revolutionary War on the highest natural point in Manhattan to sort of defend that area from the Brits. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so Washington Heights is, it's like right on, it's right at the top of Manhattan. Um, so it's bordered on the north by Inwood, on the south by Harlem. Uh, on one side by the Hudson River, and on the other side by the Harlem River. Um, let me see. Uh, something that was kind of interesting to me was that before the 1900s, it actually wasn't very highly populated. It was mostly just rich people with mansions because oh, wow. it wasn't connected by the subway lines to like the rest of the city. Oh, gotcha. So it was kind of separated. Yeah, it was kind of separated. But in the early 1900s, it was connected to Manhattan by the AC and 1 subway lines subway lines um and that sort of brought in an influx of immigrants from all over the place um so primarily in the beginning it was irish immigrants and eastern european immigrants um but according to the wikipedia article um it has also been home to you know jews emigrating from germany um greeks puerto ricans uh cuban americans russian americans and then it uh, has been for a very long time and still is like the largest, most prominent community of Dominican Americans mm. in kind of one place. Um, in sort of like the 1960s and 70s, a lot of the white people left for the suburbs. Um, so then Dominicans became the primary residents. Um, mm. And like I said, yeah, still like the most prominent Dominican uh, community in the U.S. Yeah. Um, it let me see like i said it's become like a little bit more gentrified since 2000 mm. um yeah anyway and they they do touch on that a good bit in the musical just because like the salon is moving out you know usnavi's going to be leaving the bodega is going to be closing yeah there's like a super bougie dry cleaner that comes in and they're charging like nine dollars for a shirt you know Sheesh. and yeah so that's sort of what they're touching on is sort of like the community feel kind of being taken away, people being priced out of their own neighborhoods that they've lived in forever. Yeah. Um, and then another kind of interesting thing is that this has like a really high population density, considering that there aren't really a lot of high rise buildings in Washington Heights. Hmm, okay. um, a lot of the high rise buildings are for like the hospital. Yeah. Um, so there are 92,000 people per square mile in Washington Heights, which Seems is like a lot. That's a lot of people. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people. Um, yeah. So sort of just the context of that is that that kind of means that like people are kind of living on top of each other, you know? Yeah. And, um, but you know, I think that the story of in the Heights, what that tries to show is that while, you know, a lot of them are trying to like financially scrape by, do their best. It also forms a really tight-knit community yeah for sure um okay let me see i think that was all my washington heights stuff so let's get into the people involved in this i'd love to okay i'm excited so lin-manuel miranda the big guy we know him um yeah music lyrics concept he did all of that for this um he was pretty unknown before this uh in the heights was i was cross-referencing between imdb and ibdb they got rid of the IBDB app. They used to have one. Sheesh. But it's Sad. Yeah. Anyway, um, I was cross-referencing. So this was his first Broadway credit on IBDB. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And I, I knew that he had some other things besides Hamilton, like in between. But it was only after this that he did. Um, so like for the 2009, I think nine. Yeah. Revival of West Side Story. They did a lot of the stuff in Spanish. So he mm. kind of translated a lot of those lyrics. When was Bring It On? Yeah, a couple years after that. He okay. did music and lyrics for Bring It On, the musical, gotcha. as well. And then, you know, Hamilton was, like, the next thing after that. Um, let me see. And then after Hamilton, that was kind of where he received a lot of mainstream fe- fame. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so since then, you know, he's done, like, music for Moana. Um, he was in Mary Poppins 2. He wrote a couple songs that are in, like, the new Star Wars trilogy. Oh, interesting. Um, which I didn't know. Um, and then, yeah, lots of acting as well. Um 
I mean, you know, we've seen him and you've seen him in, in stuff. Yeah. You know. You but know. Uh, what you, you know might not face. know is that he was in an episode of Bojack Horseman. Oh, really? I feel like I did, actually. He Would... has a really distinct voice. Was he playing yeah. himself? I really don't know. I can't remember. I'll look it up. But, but anyway. You keep going. Yeah. And then um, I guess the person behind the scenes. Uh, so, um, Chiara Alegria Udes, I think is how her name is pronounced, um, wrote the book of the musical. So, like, the script. Uh, that's what that means uh, in a musical. It's like they yeah. write the script things that are not lyrics um as well as the screenplay for this um and she was also a big producer on the film as well um but it was kind of interesting because she doesn't really have like other writing credits in the heights is her only broadway thing huh she doesn't really have a lot of other writing stuff on imdb either um she does have an upcoming um animated film called vivo that oh, okay. is produced by sony and um Lin-Manuel miranda is not a writer on it but he is um, starring in it as a voice okay. actor. Gotcha. Um, yeah, and then, but you know, it is interesting because Lin Manuel Miranda is definitely well known for like working with somebody, falling in love with them, and working with them over and over and over again. Sure. Um, yeah. and I mean, you could see that with like Anthony Ramos. You know, he he wasn't in the original cast of In the Heights, but he was in Hamilton. Yeah. And is obviously now Usnavi in this. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's talk about the director a little bit. That's John M. Chu. Um, so. This film has been advertised as, like, same director as Crazy Rich Asians. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the other thing he's most well-known for. But what you might not know, Jackson, is that he directed not one, but two Justin Bieber films. Justin Bieber films? That I did not he know. He directed Never Say Never and Believe. Good for him. Yep. More A like creative Believe. genius. Yeah. Anyway, um, he also directed Gem and the Holograms, which I think they tried to make it a really big deal, and it flopped. Um, and... A couple Step Up movies. Mm-hmm. And you might remember, because we watched it recently, Now You See Me Too. That's the one that I was thinking that he did. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so, yeah, big stuff for John M. Chu. Um, but, yeah, uh, the Justin Bieber films were a surprise for me. He also directed the Beauty and a Beat music video. Oh, that's a good so music video, more actually. Justin Bieber. That's a pretty good music video, yeah. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the people who were in it. So, starring. Starring. So I already kind of talked about Anthony Ramos a little bit, but obviously his big break was playing uh, John Lawrence slash Philip Hamilton in Hamilton on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, that is his only Broadway credit. Really? Yeah, I thought wow. he had like done something before that, but I guess I would not. assume that's crazy. Good for him. Yeah, uh, he auditioned for the off-Broadway production of Hamilton, and then you know made the transfer. Sure. Um, he's done some film and TV stuff since then. Uh, he's had appearances on SVU and Will and Grace. He was second billed in Monsters and Men, which I definitely haven't seen, but I, I feel like I've heard of it. It didn't seem like know. it was super popular though, but it was starring John David Washington in 2018. It's about oh, police cool. brutality. Hmm. Um, he had a supporting role in A Star is Born. Yes, he Came did. out pretty recently. Uh-huh. Um, he had a supporting role in Godzilla King of Monsters. Yes, he did. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, um, he's done some VO work for, uh, Elena of Avalor, um, which is a, I believe, Disney Junior series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was King Trollex in Trolls World Tour. Let's go, Trolls. Yeah, and then he's also done some music. Um, he had a small role in the Liam Neeson movie Honest Thief that came out in 2020. And he also, I guess, has a, a writing and performing credit for a song that's part of the soundtrack. Cool. Um, but yeah, he played like Ramon Hall in that. Um, and then now he's in this, and he's also in the Blind Spotting TV series. Oh, cool. So big stuff for Anthony Ramos. It's just really crazy, though, because it's like because he didn't really do anything before Hamilton. It's like, I don't know. He was just kind of like plucked from obscurity and went to like mega stardom. You know what I mean? Seriously. Anyway, um, let me see. Corey Hawkins played Benny in this. Um, He kind of had like some small roles in Iron Man 3 and nonstop. Um, but his big break was he played Dr. Dre in Straight Outta Compton. Oh, gotcha. So that was okay. his big, big thing. Um, yeah. But he was in like six episodes of The Walking Dead. Oh, uh, cool. He was in Kong Skull Island. Let's go. So good stuff there. The Monsterverse. Um, yeah, just really like a lot of Monsterverse actors in this. Yeah. Um, and then he was in Black Klansman as well as like a kind oh, okay. of small role in that. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, Leslie Grace played Nina. Um, this was her first feature film credit. Wow. I think she, I want to say she actually I don't know if she's even done shorts aside from this, but she has done music. So most of her IMDb is like music video credits. Gotcha. Um, let me see. And then yeah, that was all I wrote for her. Um, Melissa Barrera Martinez, who was Vanessa. 
Um, she has actually a lot of IMDb credits, but the vast majority of them are for like Spanish speaking films oh, gotcha. and shows. Um, so she's originally from Mexico. So I assume that a lot of that is like, um, a lot of that is like Mexican produced yeah. film and TV. Um, let me see. But she was, or sorry, is one of the leads in a half hour TV series, Vita, uh, which started in 2018. And that is English speaking, I believe, because all the stuff in IMDb was in English. Okay. Um, yeah, but that's basically about like two, um, sisters who were sort of like returning to their hometown after their mother's death. Um, gotcha. Anyway. Uh, and then, oh my gosh, I cannot read my writing. I think her name was Olga, uh, Merides, um, who was Abuela Claudia, um, she originated that role in In the Heights on Broadway. Oh, So that was why she was selected for this. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, it was really awesome. You know, it, it's always so funny with things like this because, like, you know, I didn't miss it too much. But sometimes when you're super familiar with the cast recording, it feels yeah. weird when there's any deviation. Absolutely. So it was really nice to have, like, one familiar voice. Yeah. Like in the same role that you knew, you know. Obviously, she didn't sound exactly the same. It was re-recorded. Sure, but um, yeah, it was just like, oh, but this still, feels this feels nice and familiar. And, yeah, and you know, you can tell she's a master. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. Okay. So, I guess the elephant in the room for this, there has been some controversy for this film. Mm-hmm. Um. Most of the controversy has been that um, the primary cast of this movie is. Like, they cast a lot of very light-skinned and sometimes even white-passing uh, Latin actors to play these roles. Um, and there is a massive ensemble in this movie. And I'd say the ensemble is definitely representative of all skin colors, but that is not necessarily the case in the principal cast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, so, yeah, that's been a lot of controversy going on. And Lin-Manuel Miranda, I thought, had a very eloquent response to it that yeah. was like, you know... I absolutely acknowledge that we should have done better. I will do better in the future. I am still proud of the film that we made. Yeah. You know, um, and think that it's like important. And I, I definitely tend to agree with him that it's really, really great to have a film like this that celebrates Latin culture and celebrates um, all these people who are very underrepresented in the film industry. Yeah, for sure. Um, but at the same time, it's also like, okay, but this this one group of like darker skinned Latin people and um, Afro Latinos are still very underrepresented and there definitely was more room for that group in here. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't know. So that's, that's sort of how I feel about it that like, um, yes, they definitely could have done better. It also still is a great film. Both can exist. Um, Both can, I think both can coexist for sure. Um, Let me see. I guess a couple of like other little things. Oh, I guess the other big thing with that was just that, um, Basically, a lot of the discourse around it was just that it's, like, not 100% representative of the population of Washington Heights. Sure. You know, and, like, like I said, I think the ensemble was representative of of that and, like, had people of all skin colors. But, yeah, the principal cast was definitely very light-skinned. Sure. Um, anyway. Um, what else? And then I guess the other thing with it was that... Um, they kind of talked about how, like, oh, we have LGBTQ representation. And so there were these two characters, Daniela and Carla, who were, like, supposed to be together, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, Daniela runs the salon. Carla works at the salon. But the thing is, like, if I didn't know which characters were supposed to be gay, mm-hmm. I would not have known. Like, if I wasn't looking for it, I would not have known. Because, you know, it's like, because it's a community, they all know each other. It's like, and also they're all dancing. You know what I mean? So, um, so, you know, it's like something that maybe was meant to be perceived as like romantic touch. It's very easy to, for it to be perceived as friendly touch when everyone is dancing and like doing choreography. Yeah. So, you know, I think that if they wanted like the credit for that, Maybe they should have been, they shouldn't have tiptoed around it, I guess, but. I guess I hear what you're saying, yeah. You know, anyway, yeah, I don't know. It was kind of like, I do definitely, after seeing it, I definitely see what people are saying where it's just like, yeah, that wasn't really clear, you know, if they sure. wanted to make that a big storyline. Um. Anyway, <sighs> yeah, I guess the only other thing I had to say about it before I get into just my overall thoughts mm-hmm. Um. They did cut a couple of songs that I really loved. Which songs? Um, which made me a little sad. Um, they cut Inutil. Okay. The I don't song know if that I Nina's know. dad sings. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, yeah. That yeah. song is 
heartbreaking. It's basically just talking about how, um, well, yeah, for everybody else, you should listen to it, first of all. But that song is basically about, it means useless. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just talking about how, like, his whole goal has been to, like, build a better life for his family, you know, make his kid's life easier than his was. And, like, he just feels trapped and stuck. And, like, he wanted to reach for the stars as a kid and was sort of, like, yeah, just, like, didn't feel like he had any kind of mobility. Yeah. Um, anyway, and, you know, and then he kind of feels like, well, if I can't provide for my family, what can I do? What am I good for? Yeah. Um, and then another song that I really love that was cut was um, Sunrise. Mm, yeah, yeah, Which yeah. Um, is a song that Benny and Nina sing um, on the fire escape. She's trying to, like, kind of teach him some Spanish. It's, like, a beautiful song. It's really cute. They replaced it with, I want to say it's called, like, um... <sighs> It's like when the sun, not when the sun goes down, because it's like when the sun goes down. I know that one. Not that <laughs> one. But, you know, I, it was something like that. Um, but, you know, so they replaced it with like that song, which is another song with them on the fire escape. I think it's because they're going for like the original song Oscar. Sure. And I sure, thought that maybe. song was fine. It was good. You know, it was still written by Lin-Manuel Miranda because he was sure. involved. But, yeah. um, you know, I like Sunrise Butter. It's fine. <laughs> sure, you have an attachment to it as well. I do. I really like it. Like, if I didn't know the musical, I don't think I would have missed it. But, yeah. you know, yeah, I, I do really like that song. Um, Yeah, okay. Overall thoughts. Urgh. I think this was Get the best it. musical adaptation of, a f- or film adaptation of a musical that I have seen. That's impressive. Well, and really, the bar is low, guys. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's sure. low. I mean... I really enjoyed like the Rent musical adaptation, especially because they had a lot of people from the original cast. But yeah. like, there were the thing I one of the things I love about Rent is that it's like sung through, and they didn't do that in the movie. And yeah. I thought it was a little, meh. you know, but the movie was still great. Um, and you know, like just a lot of other like Into the Woods was disappointing, and sure. I'm trying to think of, uh, let's not even talk about cats, you know, and like (laughs) Les Mis was good, but like left some things to be desired, I thought. So, you know, I thought that this was like, I think that they didn't just make things that worked on stage okay on film. Yeah. They found new ways to make them interesting and fun. That's really cool. I like that And I think that's what you need to do. And it made it really fun and good. Yeah. Um, There were a couple weird things that they did film-wise. Like at the beginning of 96,000, they did this thing where, like, they were doing choreography, like, with these little animated doodle things. Like, you know, they were, hmm, like, interesting. pushing okay. a dollar sign aside or something that was, like, drawn in the air. And it was, like, okay. but then it only happened for a little bit. And then the only other, they only, like, kind of did something like that, like, one other time. I don't know. It just felt kind of weird that they, I feel that like they should have used there. it more or not done it at all. Sure. I hear what you're saying. Um, But, yeah, I mean, as a whole, like, I really liked it. I wasn't, like obsessed with the actors they had playing nina and vanessa okay to be honest vanessa like really looks like kendall jenner (laughs) the actors they got to play vanessa really looks like kendall jenner to me um but you know i mean that's not why i like didn't like it so much i don't know i just thought they were like a little dead behind the eyes but okay um and like nina i was kind of talking to my parents about this nina vocally just was so not what i expected because her voice was like a little it was like a little wispy, a little poppy. And I guess just because even though like Nina's going through a time in her life when she feels very lost, yeah. at the same time, she's grown up her whole life as this really assertive girl who sure. has always sort of like gone above and beyond, has always sort of reached for things that other people think might be outside of her reach. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it was weird to hear her not be as strong vocally as I expected. Do, do you think that part of it is just because of hearing... Um, Mandy Gonzalez. Mandy Gonzalez. Well, and like so maybe a little bit, but like I don't know. It was just like it was weird hearing breathe. Not, I don't know. I don't know. I just like it. Her voice was like everybody else was just like such a powerhouse, and a lot of this cast has been on Broadway and like yeah. Uh, well, sure. Okay, sure. That's fair. What well, What did you like about the movie? I mean, everything else. Okay, (laughs) Everything else besides what I said. Like I said, I think that... Well, okay, okay. Well, I... Like I said, I think that a lot of the ways that they adapted stage to screen were really, really strong, really, really fun. Um, I loved that they had, like, a giant dance ensemble. I mean, it was literally like they populated this whole place with people. Like, it, it felt like it was just... 
the whole film just felt like it was like teeming with life because there were just so many people sure. there. And um, I have a question. My yes. favorite song is "When You're Home." How how was that in the movie? It was good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. Well, I mean, the guy who played Benny was great. Yeah. Um. Good. That's my favorite song. Yeah. Yeah. I like that song. But yeah, I think it was kind of like it was also weird hearing them sing together because Benny, like, I loved his voice. Mm-hmm. Um. Like maybe not quite Chris Jackson level, but who is? I mean, so it's you know, he was be. he was great. Yeah. Um, you know, so it was kind of weird hearing them sing together sometimes. Like it just felt a little bit mismatched sometimes. I think. Sure. Okay. Um, yeah, but I mean, I don't know. I don't know what I was saying. Yeah, I mean, everything else I thought was done like really, really well. I love the choreography. It felt just like, like I said, so full of life. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I well, great. thought it was really good. Awesome. Well, would you green light it though? Yes, I would. Okay. <laughs> yes, I would. Well, and even from a production standpoint, again, the musical was incredibly successful. Lin Manuel yeah. Miranda is incredibly successful. Yeah, put his name on anything. And exactly, you know. Oh, I guess the only other thing I was going to say, I don't think that maybe they shouldn't have cast him as Paragua Guy, but Paragua Guy, this is not in my fun facts, was actually, um, that role was about to be cut, and then oh, Lin-Manuel Miranda was like, never mind, I'll do it, so then they didn't cut it. <laughs> he said, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it is like, I think at this point he's so famous and so distinct, it's like almost distracting to see him. Sure. Like, <laughs> I don't is... want to see you in a movie that you wrote. He is Lin-Manuel Miranda at this Just point. Just like <laughs> eyeing the camera like, yeah, I did all of this. <laughs> And you know what though? Like as as much as like It's like he has a right. Yeah, I get it. Exactly. That's that that was gonna be my point. Like the man has done a lot. And like, you know, as much hate as he does get sometimes, you know, just for being corny or whatever, he's a genius. Like no, the, he man, is, the man the man is sure. a, a is a creative genius. Yeah, and they did give Chris Jackson a cameo as the um competing uh, competing with the Paragua guy. Uh-huh. He has an ice cream truck. That's so cute. Um, I love yeah. Chris Jackson. So they have a little He's rivalry. It's kind of good. Chris Jackson's the best. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway. Um, okay. Two truths and a lie. I think I'm ready. Shall Two truths and a lie. Okay, let's I know I talked for a long time, but it's a new movie. That's so okay. yeah. you know what? You can sit through it. Um, <laughs> I did. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm trying to decide which one to do first. I want to figure okay. out where I'm going to put my lie. Okay. Okay. Um, She's going to put it first. <laughs> okay well now i can't put it first jackson <laughs> <laughs> i won't know lauren you can do what you want <laughs> okay whatever um okay an adaptation of in the heights was first and uh, sorry a film adaptation of in the heights yeah. was first announced in 2011 to be directed by kenny ortega of high school musical fame okay uh that I, fell I, through though i feel like that's almost true but continue but yeah, that fell through. That was all I have for that one. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, when a film adaptation of this was originally brought up, it was going to be directed by Kenny Ortega. You know what? I'd like to see that version, please. It would be interesting. <laughs> um, and then another thing. Um, so this film was shot mainly in the late fall and early winter. Uh, it was shot in New York. It was shot on location. Um, and that's ironic because this takes place in the middle of summer, hottest days of the year, like during a blackout when there's not even any air conditioning. Yeah, wow. Um, yeah, so in many of the evening scenes, actors' breath clouds, like, needed to be edited out. Edited? That's funny. Yeah. Um, and then my last thing, this overlapped with filming with the new West Side Story movie that's coming out later this year. Um, so much so that the West Side Story catering truck sometimes appeared in the background of the shots in In the Heights. (sighs) Um... I really don't know, to be honest, because I want the first one to be true, so I'm not going to say it's uh, <laughs> it's a lie. Um, I'm going to say the uh, the West Side uh, the West Side Story one's a lie. That's true. Dang it! What's the lie? Don't tell me Kenny Ortega wasn't going to direct. This. Oh no, he was. Don't okay, worry, good. he was. Um, no, yeah, it was. Um, I I totally made up the late fall early winter thing. I mean, I have no idea when it was shot. Who knows? It might have been, but yeah, I made that up. Well, good for you. That was a good one, Lauren. <laughs> Thank you. You got me. But yeah, I like. <laughs> I kind of couldn't believe that it was that the, all the stuff about the West Side Story thing was true, because yeah. it was like they literally were just like, nah, we got to get you know. Summer, probably. We gotta film all of this. In Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Same time. Man, well, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. But yeah, another part of that fun fact, I guess, but I figured if I added too much information, it would be too sketch. Sure. Um, was that Lin-Manuel Miranda uh, snuck over to their set to watch the filming of Maria oh, at yeah. one point. <laughs> That's which funny. seems like something he would do. Sure. Anyway. 
Anyway. That's all I got. Okay. Well, that's an green episode light, for all of two you. Two green lights. We, we didn't hold back, even though it's uh, now 11.22 p.m. So <laughs> we hope you enjoy this one. Thank you once again for listening. We really appreciate all of this. Yeah. If you appreciate us, give us a review. Uh, 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 subscribe to our Patreon. Is that what you call Money, it? Money, please. Join our Patreon club. And uh, we'll see you next time on The Green Light. Green Light.